This is Weekly Signals Interviews, broadcast every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9 on KUCI, 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. With peak oil upon us, Orange County and the rest of the plugged-in world will need to move from a global culture addicted to cheap, abundant petroleum to a culture of compelled conservation, whether through government directive or market forces. In his new book, The Post-Petroleum Survival Guide and Cookbook, our guest today, Albert Bates, provides practical positive advice for preparing your family and community to make the transition during the great change. Bates is a lawyer, author, and teacher, He has been director of the Institute for Appropriate Technology since 1984 and director of the Eco Village Training Center at the Farm in Somerton, Tennessee, since 1994. Albert Bates, welcome to Weekly Signals. Uh, Hi, uh, and uh, hello out there to all the Weekly Signals listeners. (laughs) How how is it at the farm today? Is the weather good? Actually, we just had a break, and and we've been raining here. It's been pretty nasty for a few days, and and today it's just lovely. We had a spring day, clear skies. 70 degrees, and we're just bathing in it. Just bathing? You're not, uh, not doing any work? <laughs> oh, no. There's a little bit of that going on for sure. Okay. <laughs> we, we did some uh, mushroom inoculation this morning real early. Uh, you know, it's the time of year just before the leaves come out on the oak trees that you uh, you inoculate for shiitake. And so we're, we're really? doing a few Japanese forest mushrooms uh, and, and getting it started right about now. That's wonderful. So how long does that process take before you get a, a shiitake? Well, it takes about four to six months, but it really has to go through a winter. So when we're doing a spring inoculation like this, okay. we're probably not going to see a crop until next spring. And uh, and with the fall inoculation, which we'll also do, you know, after the leaves have come off the trees, then we'll probably see a spring uh, flush from those as well. Right. Well, tell us a little bit about the great change that you talk about in your book. Uh, what are we What are we approaching right now? Well. It's not like we're running out of oil. We're going to have oil for for a long time to come. It's really hard stuff to find, and there's a lot of it down there underground still. But what's happening is, is we've we've gone through all of the the really easy to find stuff. You know, the 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 Texas light sweet crude and all those spindle top gushers and things like that. That's all history. And what we're down to now is the the second half of the reserve, which is. Uh, heavier crudes, tars, sour crudes, uh, the Alberta uh, tar sands and the and the shales, those kinds of things. Well, those are harder to get, harder to bring up, and harder to transport and harder to refine. And as a consequence, we're going to see more expensive prices on all of the uh, gasoline and fuel products that come from uh, oil, as well as, of course, everything else that comes from oil, like plastics. Uh, and so we're, we're, we're at the point right now, and it's been predicted now for some 40, 50 years, uh, that we would reach this point, which is called peak oil, which is the production peak, the point at which you can't produce any more than you're producing right now. And, in fact, in each year out, we're probably going to produce a little less. So that's the change, and, we're, and it's a big change. It's a big change like the change from, from firewood to, to coal, uh, and, now we're, and then we went from coal into uh, uh, oil, and now we're going from oil to to whatever comes next. And some people say, well, that's going to be nuclear, or it's going to be this or that, and, and ethanol. And I actually think that none of those things is quite going to provide the BTU punch that, that cheap, abundant, sweet, light crude did. And so what we're actually facing is a, a, a rather 
dark energy future, uh, and we have to go from a, a savings account. You know, it took 100 million years to put all that oil in the ground mm-hmm. to a, a checking account where we, we spend each day what we get from the sun in some form or another. And you're in Tennessee and at the farm there. You're already implementing some uh, uh, conservation measures there. But just a few weeks ago, you visited Orange County. Uh, and you saw the situation we're in here. We're not c- quite as advanced as the farm is as far as conservation goes. In fact, quite the opposite. Uh, what what does some a change like this have uh, in store for a place like Orange County, where we're so dependent on oil? Well, dependent on automobiles, I would yes. say. And and really, what needs to happen there is is things like light rail, more efficient means of transportation to help people get around after uh, the price of gas goes to $10 a gallon, $20 a gallon, $30 a gallon and up. Uh, people are not going to be able to afford the, the kind of uh, personal automotive transport that has been our, fu- our history. You know, it, it, James William Howard Kunstler um, puts this in, in very bleak, uh, stark terms. He says that the, uh, the investment that the United States made in uh, interstate highways and suburbs and all that was probably the greatest waste of the post-World War II wealth that any nation could imagine, uh, and that we went ahead and, and, and we're still actually expend, extending interstate highways and building new four lanes and six lanes and eight lane highways, and we're, we don't recognize that this is a thing of the past. This, this era of the car is a thing of the past, and, and what we need to think about is pedestrian. We need to think light rail, bicycle, uh, ways of getting around and having things in close proximity to each other. Uh, you know, uh, we're kind of up the end of a of a uh, cul-de-sac, you know, and it, it's it, it's a long ways to the grocery store for a lot of people. Long too much too far to walk, and we need to think about okay, how do you regionalize food? How do you regionalize um, water and uh, sewage and healthcare and schools? Make those things much closer and within easy distance of, of the places they need to function. We're speaking with Albert Bates. The book is The Post-Petroleum Survival Guide and Cookbook. Uh, would you have a, a first step that you'd recommend for people to, to get in touch with all this or to improve their, uh, their future? Well, there's a, you know, I, I, I got uh, involved in this many years ago, but there's been some, uh, a spate of recent books that have just uh, come out and I think are highly recommended. And among those, I would say William Howe Kunstler's The Long Emergency, um, Richard Heinberg's The Party's Over, uh, and his sequel to that, which is called Power Down. And I think uh, my own book, of course, The Post-Petroleum Survival Guide, will, will get you started and will point you in some right directions. There's also a few really good websites out there that, that you can search and find. If you, if you just go on Peak Oil, you'll come up with some very good uh, selections. Like I, I, listen to, I, I watch uh, what appears on the Energy Bulletin every day because it gives the, yeah. uh, the synopsis of everything that's going on. And, go ahead, Mike. Well, I just uh, do you see it sounds like what you and these other authors are talking about is kind of a soft landing. This is the preparation for a soft landing, mo- moving from a, into a sort of a post-petroleum economy, a post-petroleum world. Yeah, the soft landing is the best we could hope for. You know, I, I see actually there's probably 
several possible scenarios, and I would say, uh, you know, the the last one standing seems to be one scenario that's being played out in Iraq and the Middle East. We're we're kind of uh, playing a dance with uh, China and India and Africa and and Europe to see who's going to have the oil reserves and and who's going to be able to uh, control the key uh, producing countries in the future. And and then also there's the idea of a um, uh, a technological fix that there will be a magic bullet, and and so we're we're hoping that fusion reactors will come around, or we're hoping that hydrogen will fuel the cars, or some kinds of things like that. And that's a little bit much to hope for, since we've been researching these things for 50 years. There are a lot of small fixes, technical helps, you know, wind, solar, and so forth. And all of those will amount to not a technology, not a magic bullet, but maybe a magic BB. You know, like, a, and you put them all together, maybe you get a magic shotgun. But for the most part, uh, they're not going to match the, the the BTU potency of oil. And so then the other one is uh, the idea of a power down, some kind of slide, controlled slide. And that's kind of where I find myself is is urging people to have um, a way of, of of transitioning from the present era to what needs to come. And the sooner you start, the better you'll be. And so the more people become aware that oil is a finite commodity, it's going to get scarcer, we need to start scaling back and, and thinking of things to do in ways that don't involve uh, fossil fuels, the better off we'll be. Of course, one of the dangers here is that people will turn to coal. That's what China seems to be wanting to do, and we're building a lot of coal plants ourselves in Texas and places. And so I think that's a danger because of, of global warming. We're, we're learning very quickly now. There's a very rapid learning curve about global warming going on with the U.N. report coming out and the Pentagon study coming out and all these other various books like Lovelock and Linus and so forth popping out these books about global warming that tell us, hey, this is serious. This is even more serious than peak oil. And so we can't just be substituting coal or something else that's going to put a lot of uh, carbon into the atmosphere. So, so you, I would assume from your answer that you see the war in Iraq the same way that maybe William Clark sees it, uh, who wrote a book called Post the the uh, Petroleum Wars. Basically, mm-hmm. that's what that's what this is about. It's not so much about what we need; it's about keeping our hand on that spigot and and allow and dictating who is the one who who in fact will get oil. Yeah, I, I agree with uh, William Clark and Michael Clare and others who are writing on this that that's that's what it's all about. It's O I L. That's what that war in Iraq is about. That's what hegemony in the in the Middle East is about. That's what putting in 14 military bases in, around the region are about. That's what the Israel policy is about. Uh, it's about maintaining our our supply. But you know that's that's a, a transitory thing. It's kind of it's yeah. also thinking uh, fighting the last war. You know, we're back in World War II or something here. And in point of fact, Saudi Arabia, which is the largest uh, reserves in the world, may now be in decline. We're seeing their largest field, Gowar, go into a dip, and it may be a permanent dip where it's increasing uh, from 8% to 12% to 15 or 16% per year of decline. I mean, it's up to a point where they're taking um, 70% of what's coming out of the wells is the seawater that was put in to push the oil out. And so when you get to that stage, it, it, you really are scraping the bottom of the barrel. And if we're trying to save the Middle East for our own personal use, it's, it's kind of a waste of time because it's not going to be any better than anywhere else in the world. And uh, we really need to think about after oil, not, not uh, trying to fight over the last remaining scraps. We, we need to be thinking about what will happen after the two oil men who are in, who are in the White House today are, are no longer there. Is there a way to make this happen 
without some kind of a sweeping government intervention? Do we need that? I know we can make some micro changes in our life to uh, or micromanage our life in a way that will uh, better reflect uh, a post-petroleum world. But is there a way out of this without some kind of a sweeping government involvement? Yeah, it has to come from individuals. I don't think the government, you know, this is, you go to scientific conferences, you go to academic conferences, you go to political conferences, and, and basically they say lifestyle's off the table. We're not going to talk about that. And I have to think that lifestyle is the only way that things are going to change, that people actually as individuals have to make changes in their own personal habits uh, to find ways to live that are comfortable, elegant, and um, improving their lives in all myriad ways but nonetheless use less and consume less because, you know, we're, we're this consumer culture, and that's really our problem. We're, we're addicted in so many ways to so many things, and we, we need to find ways to live that are more uh, comfortable and simple than that that don't consume as much. And, and actually, you know, production and consumption are two sides of the same coin, and one of our problems is that we, we see our, our own self-worth in terms of production, how much we produce, and I think that's a problem. Uh, because we we continue to take more out of the out of the earth and we refine it and we end up sending it into dumps and into the ocean and in fact we need to stop that whole process we need to cycle things and how do you become less productive and still have a sense of self worth and this is where I think Orange County may have its major contribution to the future of the world okay uh, because I think a good example of, of of a lifestyle that's not consumptive and not productive but it's still enjoyable, is surfers. <laughs> because I imagine, what, what does a surfer actually produce? Well, a suntan, <laughs> you know, a sense of good feeling after a good day where you had some good rides, you know, maybe some serotonin, you know. Yeah. Uh, but, but not a lot of production into the economy. Uh, and, and, you know, they have to flip some burgers or sand some boards or something when the waves aren't up. Uh, to just to make make do, but that doesn't take a lot of time, and 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 still surfers have a life that they enjoy, and that's the important thing. They're not producing, they're not consuming, but they're enjoying their life. And I think artists, I think dancers, I think uh, people who are in theater, people who are in various different fields of music and so forth, uh, can actually have these kinds of lifestyles, and we can still find ways to survive quite comfortably. Uh, producing what we need. You know, the Incas, you know, this is like a thousand years ago, the Incas were able to um, uh, produce their everything they needed in the way of food, clothing, shelter, all the basics of human life for in, uh, in just 65 days every year. And they had 300 days left after that to figure <laughs> out what to do. It wasn't a thousand years ago, it was 400 years ago. Yeah. And, you know, it was not an easy climate to live in high in the Andes, but they managed to do that. And those 300 days, they said, well, we can't just have a party every every day for 300 days. That wouldn't wouldn't be very good. So Just, just 150 uh, days. <laughs> let's, uh, let's have some parties, but then what we'll do is uh, we'll have this, this public works program, and we'll build, you know, 12-foot-wide uh, stone roads that will go for tens of thousands of miles, and we'll build uh, terraces that will uh, go up uh, to the mountaintops with uh, river soils that will grow corn, and we'll do these different kinds of public works. And so that's what they did with the population. They organized public works. And I think that that's an interesting model because it it realizes that you don't have to spend your, your every waking hour 
pursuing some kind of uh, wealth ac- accumulation or or just making ends meet uh, that you can you can devote a certain small amount of time to providing for your needs and then the rest of the time you can devote to public works in the future i think we're going to have to devote an awful lot of time to public works in the form of planting trees because with climate change we're going to want to retain soil we're going to want to increase moisture and we're going to have to have breaks against the desert and that's where trees come in trees are, are carbon sequestering uh, organisms they are atmospheric scrub brushes and we're going to plant a whole lot of them in the next century we're speaking with albert bates the book is the Post-Petroleum Survival Guide and Cookbook. And I just have to say this because I just read a news story about trees. They were even saying that given global warming the way it's heading, that trees planted in the northern hemisphere might actually exacerbate the warming trend. So not not to put a damper on that, and I, and I, and I, I agree. And, in fact, the thing I agree most is, is trying to, to change people. The way to do it is to to uh, have them focus on enjoying their lives, mm-hmm. and and that that the accumulation isn't necessarily any kind of enjoyment at all. It's it actually can be a, a negative drag on your enjoyment of things. And 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 surfing is a is a good example. It's a it's a fine example of of of, uh, of someone who's who's getting by without a a lot of with with little production maybe, but but certainly a lot of enjoyment. Yeah. Yeah. That's the idea, and there are, and there's not not just uh, surfing, but there's lots of activities that you can think of yeah. that have that same effect. Yeah. Uh, we 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 recently we just last week spoke to or a couple of weeks ago spoke to Benjamin Barber, and we're in a, and he spoke about uh, how capitalism has moved past the point of providing the basic needs for for the population, and now into manufacturing need in order to sell more stuff to us, and we need to get away from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, did you, do you have a, do you have a sense that this may be too sweeping a, a question, but you have a sense that the sort of counterculture of the '60s and, of course, the, the, which drew upon uh, many different cultures uh, in putting together sort of a philosophy? Do you feel like that culture is is people are coming to the realization that there was so much more value in adopting that than uh, than in the sort of culture war that we've been fighting for the last six thirty years or so? Do you feel like a validation of that. Are hippies coming well, back? Yeah, I was looking at the recent Time magazine devil special issue on uh, global warming, and they had the 51 things that you can do to stop global warming. And I had to observe that, you know, half of those things were things that the hippies did. Yeah. Like vintage clothing, uh, stuffing a lot of people in a car, yeah. not eating meat. Uh, you know? yeah. And it's like, oh, yeah, uh huh. Yeah. Sounds familiar. The stuff era. that was vilified. Yeah, and for I think the, last, the hippies yeah. were right about a lot of things. You yeah. know, they were right about the Vietnam war they were right about the native americans and gender rights and lots of things like that and i think that uh as time comes on as 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 we go around we're going to find that we we all associate much more with with the hippie values than we do with the the conservative values that we're uh, creating the culture war around them and i think that it may not be called hippies in the future though i think that's kind of like a thing of the past now and i, I look back to other social movements of history the bohemians and the yeah. cathars and the various other uh historic historical um, nonconformists, and I have to say, well, you know, the hippies had a lot of common with a lot of those, yeah. and, and one of the things that I think that stuck out is the idea of the communal lifestyle, yeah. because one of the problems that you have if you, if you have an economy that's no longer based on growth, and we've, we're having, you know, to, to adjust to this because of the finite resources on the planet, 
And uh, oil, of course, is a good example. It's been growing at, at 2% consumption now for, for 50 or 60 years annually. We, we, we use about 2% more oil than we did the year before. And now if we switch over and we're at the top of that and we have to slide down a little bit every year, we go down 2%, and I hope that's as graceful as 2% drop, 2% less every year. Well, an economy that's based on growth, which is essentially the capitalist system, uh, that you have profit that you reinvest, that becomes a difficult model to yeah, follow. And so we have to think about what are alternatives to that. And I hate to say communism because that's such a nasty word, but communal sharing, the idea of shared purse uh, extending out to larger groups uh, is probably a very efficient way of managing resources. And, and the hippies were ahead of the curve in those kinds of experimentations. Mm-hmm. Well, we've unfortunately run completely out of time. I want to um, thank you very much for being here, Albert Bates. The book is Post-Petroleum Survival Guide and Cookbook. Recipes for Changing Times. Yeah, we didn't even get to talk about the food. I oh. know, I know. There's so much more. And <laughs> well, we've we, we we got, got to have you back. in there. Yeah, we've got <laughs> some shiitake. <laughs> well, we have to have you back. Uh, okay. We'll, we'll, and uh, thanks for writing this book, and thanks for being here on Weekly Signals. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Talk to you. To learn more about Weekly Signals interviews, including upcoming guests, or to download the podcast, visit our website at weeklysignals.com. And be sure to visit nathancallahan.com for daily readings and feature articles. Until next week, I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. And this is Weekly Signals.